Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Crunching the numbers. Thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north, which has tennis for everyone. Perfect for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete. Close to Melbourne Airport with accommodation available. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. Welcome back to Crunching the Numbers. I'm your host, Chris Taunts, where we take a look at analytics and how to use that uh, both to help guide your practice and your matches, and also hopefully to help improve uh, practice and matches. Today, we got a special guest on, uh, a good friend of mine, Johnny Parks. Let me just give you a little background on Johnny. As I know him, he started with the Federation um, in Talent ID, uh, putting on um, youth camps around the country in the United States, did a phenomenal job at that then moved over to IMG as the, I believe, head of strength and conditioning. So he's worked with, which is one of the largest academies in the world, if not the largest. So he's worked with tons of pros, tons of top juniors. And now he's back at at our federation in Carson. So I get to see him quite a bit uh, working with the the young boys and girls uh, and also with the pros back in a tennis capacity. But one thing that really stands out to me and one thing I really respect about him, and it's a lot like Stephen Huss, who unfortunately can't join us today on the podcast, is he's always looking to get better. He's always improving. He's an expert, in my opinion, when it comes to to movement in tennis and biomechanics. He's a great resource for me to have. Um, so that, that's pretty much it. Johnny, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Good to see you. Yeah, We're on to... different sides of the country, yeah. different sides of the world. But, yes, uh... we are now but yeah good to do this yeah so um you have recently you and a a team of of people just recently put out a a paper article on tying together um both the the tennis aspect and the strength and conditioning which i find very interesting and it's something that i I know i in terms of with claire i'm i'm always trying to make sure that I'm on the same page with the S and C, the strength and conditioning. I'm always checking in on the road. I check in every day uh, with Claire's strength and conditioning and and kind of, this is where she's at. Uh, This is how she's feeling, looking uh, at the programs that we're doing. I'm I'm actually, when I'm on the road, I'm the S and C. I just follow the program. So I bring a ton of equipment, but I think it's really important to be able to, to branch the two, the strength and conditioning and the tennis. So let's get into kind of this this research paper you put out. Uh, number one, the first thing that stands out to me is this was a collaboration, not just with tennis, but with also, I believe, with track and field and possibly a little soccer. So can you just talk me through how that got started? Yeah. So this project really came about when I was at IMG and IMG, we had to do this battery of testing um all sports had to do these battery of uh, physical testing at the beginning and end of each semester as a as markers of improvement what i found though when i first got there is 
the, the players weren't connected to why they were doing the testing and almost felt it as a obligation uh, and took away from their tennis, uh, even though it might have been for one session. And so, you know, and I sort of agreed. I was like, well, if we're going to do testing, we got to make it mean something. And how can we use testing to connect them better to their tennis and why it's important. A guy called Jason Hetler moved to IMG to become the speed and agility coach for the academy. So he worked across different sports and I really wanted to learn from him and use his um, use his expertise, especially with our with our top juniors, you know, who playing top national and, and, and ITFs internationally. And he brought in this, he came to me when I was talking to him about this testing and not really connecting to it. He talked about this anaerobic speed reserve concept that he'd done in track. And this guy's a phenomenal background in track and field and worked at Altus, which was a big coach education platform as well, based out of Phoenix. This concept was really about how you train a little bit more specifically to the event that they're doing in track and field by testing where their endurance profile is and where their speed profile is and looking at well, what profile are they? Are they more of an endurance-based athlete, speed-based athlete, or a hybrid? They kind of sit in the middle there. Just in general terms, you'd look at a tennis athlete and say, well, they need both, right? They need to be quick and they need to have really good endurance. And then this paper came out by one of Jason's friends who's really spearheading a lot of anaerobic speed reserve research. And it was based in based off PSG in the Paris soccer team, football team in France. And what caught my eye with that research paper was that they started to break down these profiles by positions, fullbacks, which need to run up and down the field all day, but, you know, need to be able to have really good endurance, but still fairly quick. Your attackers in soccer, football need to be very, very fast, but maybe their endurance profile doesn't need to be as high as the others. And so I took took a look at this and go, well, you know, we could we could do something a little bit like this and try it out based around game style, knowing that your counter attacker, you know, needs a little bit more of an endurance based profile. Now, if you have an endurance based profile, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're slow. It still means you're very fast. It just means one in relation to the other, you know, is, is a little bit better. And so you counter you counter attackers, counter punches are more sort of on that endurance profile end and your serve volleyers, although they're sort of, um, not many of them around these days, but your serving volleyers and your all-court players need to have a little bit more of a speed profile because need to be more explosive and ready off the mark and playing shorter points and covering more angles of the court quicker, especially the shorter and diagonal. So yeah, we set about putting some testing in place that would let us know what their speed, it's called speed reserve ratio is. Uh, it's this sort of scale that tells you if they're more on the speed end, hybrid or endurance end. And we started putting some values to each game style. So that, that was really the start of it. We got it going. And so how did you set that up originally? So you, it was a one-year test. Is, is that right? Yeah. So what we did is we we tested the players when they came back in the fall semester. So in the August, September time. And then we test them again, end of November, beginning of December. And then we'll test them again, January, February, and then at the next school semester, and then test them again at the end of that semester, May, June time. One other question on the SR, the speed reserve ratio. How was yeah. that determined? Yeah, so one test we already did at the academy was testing their speed. So we got the speed gates out and we used a swift timing system uh, to be able to catch their speed. 
And we did markers of 10 meters, 20 meters, 25 meters, 30 meters. So what we wanted to see was their top end speed, which we could pretty much catch between 20 and 30 meters. We wanted to see the split between 20, 25, 25 and 30 to see if there was much of a difference there. Uh, and then from a general perspective with the academy testing, they wanted we wanted to get the 10 meter sprint and the 20 meter sprint too. 20 meter sprint really being the sprint distance, max sprint distance that tennis players would really ever go through from one deep corner of the court to the net, right? Chasing down a drop shot. And 10 meters being one that's really taking you a little bit more side to side, turning and sprinting, chasing down a, a wide backhand or something. So we still wanted that data just to see some acceleration details there. So yeah, and then what that did was give us their speed. We were able to come up with their meters per second speed. So, you know, based off my time, I'd be like, okay, I got eight meters per second was my speed there. And then on the endurance end, we added in another test, which was the six-minute test. It's basically just run for six minutes around a track and see how far you can run in six minutes. And then you basically divide 360 seconds by, you know, the distance by 360 seconds, and that's our meters per second. So... If I got four meters per second, then that would give me a speed reserve ratio of two because we'd do eight, uh, the eight meters per second on the sprint speed divided by the endurance speed on the six meter t- on the six minute test. That would give me a two. Now a two is uh, would be more on the speed end um, in terms of profiling, athletic profilings. Yeah, that's how we did the testing. The subjects you use, was it, did they range in age or were, was it boys and girls? Was it pros? Pros would have been difficult just because of their scheduling is really tough. So testing is always really, really hard with pros, as you know, yeah. uh, with the schedule that you guys are on. With the juniors, though, we were able to be in control of it a little bit more. So if I want to track players that were post-puberty. So we took basically players aged between 15 and 17. And these were players that were either playing, you know, kind of their Nash top national stuff, or or most of them were more on the ITF track, climbing the ITF rankings and playing those tournaments. Those are the players we took. Still came with a few challenges from a testing standpoint, because when they get to that stage two, the travel is a lot more severe. Yeah. You know, we our testing protocol was in place, but sometimes wasn't always like exactly when we wanted to do it, but that didn't really matter. You sort of got it when you could. The post-puberty, that that was more, you know, I'm just thinking here, and I actually I read paper quite a bit. Was that more because at once they hit, you know, puberty, they start to develop what their identity is on the court? Am I a, you know, an aggressive baseline or a counterattack or a certain volley or, or was there another reason for that? When you're going through puberty, there's a lot of things that change both physically, mentally, and everything like that in between. So post-puberty was really, well, these 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 boys and girls are going through this journey now of going from girls to women and boys to men. And, you know, you're going to have potentially less issues with, with injuries or anything like that because of growth, because of growth happening. From a game style standpoint, that they're starting to see what their bodies can do. They're able to now really start to identify closer to a game style or a mixed game style or whatever it may be, because they don't have as many limits. What I call would, would be limitations. When you're going through growth, you, you do have limitations. You get little tweaks to your hip and then yeah. it's your knee. It might be your shoulder. There's growth plates open. So there's a lot of things going up there. There's a lot of, you know, what I like to say is when you're going through that, that those phases is when you're trying to lock in technique, but you're also really trying to educate players on game style so that when they come on the back end of their major growth spurt and puberty is pretty much 
close to being over with, you can really double down on helping them with that identity. And so this project was all about how do we as a, a tennis fitness or S&C staff, you know, use what we have to also aid the tennis coaches in helping them and helping the players understand how they fit into to those identities. In, in, in all fairness, too, I, the way this study was set up, I think you did first reach out to the coaches and say what kind of game style are, are your players playing or what, what are they trying to do to get an idea and then you could match it up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the you know, for me, you know, I've played all roles, as you know. I've been on court with as the coach and been the fitness coach. I've kind of done both side by side my whole life since leaving college, just because of my passion and interest for it. But also, I just kind of fell into that way, you know. So this was, I, I knew the importance of making sure that the connection with the tennis coaches was very strong. And in my, in the past, I've seen. You know, I've had experiences where things can be very easily siloed. The tennis coaches are doing their thing and then the players go to fitness and they're just doing their thing and and it can be a little bit disconnected. So I thought my role here is to support the tennis coaches. So this, I'm going to go to them and ask them, you know, how are they trying to train each athlete that we're testing and then show them what we're doing with the testing and how they can use it and apply it to their tennis practices. We built a great connection there in, in, in first of all, understanding exactly what they were trying to do on court and then their understanding of exactly how what we're trying to do off court is going to aid and help their players on court so it was a good relationship there that that sparked a lot of great conversations amongst tennis coaches and snc staff to me that's fantastic and i think that bridge needs to be gapped or connected more bridge needs to be connected between snc and the coaches which requires more work honestly but at the end of the day, I mean, we're trying to get the players to be the best players they can be. So it's it's, it's a challenge for sure. Now, yeah. maybe let's get into the the findings of of, of your study and, and how that all came together, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. So from, from the testing, when we started getting the second and third tests, you know, back, obviously the first one is just your baseline looking at where they're at. Um, part of this was a comfortability in doing the tests. And then the second part was actually then marking the improvements. Generally, what we found was is, and this is a little bit just due to, to trainability, is they got significantly faster through the programming. We can get into the details of the methods and the programs, exactly what we did to get the results. But the findings was pretty unanimous that every player, some more than others, really significantly improved in their speeds. And what we found with endurance, their endurance speeds was improvement was there, but very minimal, like very minimal, like there were incrementally incremental improvements where we had fairly large, like in some cases, some players in, in the space of four months or three, four months went from, you know, their speed being like a 7.5 meters per second to almost an 8.5 or more. So they were improving by one meter per second in that in that tops in that speed, which is pretty pretty unreal <laughs> from from that standpoint. That was in the the aerobic, the long distance testing. Is that right? No, that, that was in the speed testing. Oh, the speed yeah. testing! Wow. And the, in the endurance testing, we had incremental improvements. Okay, got it. And so when we started looking at the players and the way that they they've been trained in the past, and obviously how much tennis they're doing it would make sense that their endurance is already pretty good and that improvements on that end will be incremental because again, with the, with the younger players, I think 
that play a lot and stay healthy, I think it's natural that their endurance will be fairly decent because they're playing a lot. And, you know, depending on who they, how they've been training beforehand, there is in tennis a little bit of a bias. I, I would say it's changing now. There is a little of a bias towards more endurance training, you know, doing long, a little bit more of the longer runs and things like that. Whereas, you know, we know our sports, it is about lasting and, and a long time, but um, you also need to be fast and explosive over that long time. And so um, the speed in a youth player made sense that they were improving a lot faster, um, but also our training was really identifying, like we would manipulate our training based off their game style and where they were at in their baseline testing. And not every player did the same session. Yeah. So yeah. We'd, we'd have groups of, you know, 12 boys or 12 girls out there. Not everybody was always doing the exact same session. And, you know, we had to individualize in a group setting. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you also track their overall performance, correct, throughout the year. Yeah, well, I think, again, as there's no point in doing all this testing unless you know that they're actually getting better. And it's obviously not because they're phys physically that we know they were getting better. We've got the numbers now. But did it actually help them with their performance on the court? And this is obviously a combination of, of course, the skills that the tennis coach is building and developing with them. But it's also us giving them the physical capacity to reach that next level that they're striving for. So we marked out their improvements and it was pretty unreal. And, you know, most of the markers we used were UTR, ITF, you know, world ranking as marking those improvements because that was more their schedule was the with the ITF schedule. And then obviously UTR is that universal tennis rating where you can track regardless of competition, what they're doing. As long as they're competing and playing in competition, you can see improvement there. And we found, again, in pretty in everyone, there were improvements. And in most of them, there were very large improvements in, in short spaces of time. And again, not saying this is all because of the testing and the protocols and the training we did with them, but it was a team effort across the board and obviously having the right schedule as well. So all to say that, it's it, it all worked in this nice big nucleus that was moving in the direction same direction together well that's that's well said do i sometimes i wonder which drives which do let's say i have one of my players do it one of these srr tests and kind of figure out are they more aerobic are they more anaerobic and then the coach gives me something totally different says hey they're they're a certain volley they're they're an all-core players, and they need to be better with the the anaerobic, the more, the more short sprints. How did you classify where to put each player into? Was it more based on their original testing, or based on where what the co how the coach wanted them to play? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's where the really good discussions between us and the tennis coaches was um, was so valuable. You know, if if we had a tennis coach saying we're training this player. We want to be an all-court player because they've got the slice skills, the volley skills. They love transition. They can move the ball around like, you know, that they're, they're getting better at that. But we're going to train them in this all-court skill play. And we're testing them physically. And they're, they're basically a 1.4, which we had this with one athlete. They're like tested as a 1.4 on the speed reserve ratio. Well, they're an endurance, a really endurance-based athlete. So their endurance was really good, but their speed was not quite there for what I would say was not quite there for that game style. So I go to the tennis coach and say, look, yeah, 
if they're going to play this particular game style and we're going to, and this is the direction, we need to get them a lot faster. And and speed is a lot tougher to to improve, although we, we showed the improvements. But speed from a, I guess, like a genetic standpoint and biological standpoint is a little bit tougher to train to get those improvements. So we, we were like, okay, there's the challenge. So we need to slide that scale. So if we had a scale and they're on one end of the spectrum with the, yeah. with the all court player, but they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, we need to we need to get those to match. So does all of our does all of our um, training need to get them to fit underneath all court player, or can the tennis coaches also look at that and go, well, you know what? Yeah, they, all court player is primary, but aggressive baseliner is one that I think is a little bit more sustainable with, at, and then adding in a little bit of that all court game too, right? This that they can go back and forwards. But that foundation game style is probably suited a little bit more for aggressive baseliner. And then we can move closer to that from a physical standpoint. Um, so that's where the conversations were. Or it's with the tennis coaches and go, well, actually, you know, they, the player says that they're this all-court game style, but they really don't have the skills to do it. And their physical end is on the endurance end. So let's like scale that back. Let's try and work with the player to understand that actually their game style is more on that aggressive baseliner end by skill level and then we can move up that physical capacities to match that a little bit easier so that was the conversations that really you know we would go through with every player you know that was that was a good exercise to go through to understand who's doing what and on often and often some cases it was on us to help the player reach that but on some cases tennis coaches really identified players as going well you know what they actually may not be best suited for this game style so let's talk to them about you know, the characteristics of the different game styles and see what they think and then, you know, go from there. Just listening to you, it's, you start with a, a you know, your group and then it's a way to kind of individualize to each player, which they're doing in other sports that have different positions, but it's kind of matching that up with tennis and saying, hey, does this make sense for how you're playing? Do, do we need to maybe improve in this area if you want to be more of a defensive player? Do we need to work more on endurance? I, I just think it's a great conversation conversation that that S and C and the and the coaches can have. I know we're going to run out of time soon, but let me ask you, would do you feel like when we talk about individualization, is that something more for for the pros where okay, I'm with Claire Lou and she's an all-court player and I know her game and or is it something that let's say I'm I'm at an academy, can I can I implement something similar? Where would you see this research really yeah. lies? Yeah, so our methods, that was that was that, you know, in a in a large group setting like IMG, the the toughest part was understanding how to individualize. You know, I feel like I've had a lot of practice with of being able to do that, and so so I was able to help our coaches understand how we do that, our SSC coaches how how we can do that in a group setting. And really, what it came down to was this: was Jason was you know Jason Hetler really spearheaded our, a lot of our track sessions. So we'd be out on the track once a once a week sometimes we'd go out a little bit more depending on if they had a few week gap in between tournaments but generally we had these pro jason came up with these great protocols so we trying to move this player from a little bit more of an endurance based profile to a hybrid or a hybrid to a speed or the reverse speed to hybrid or hybrid to endurance and he came up with this set of protocols over a certain period of weeks that was we're going to take this athlete from long intervals to shorter intervals or shorter intervals to longer intervals or we just give them completely mixed up intervals because they're a hybrid athlete 
they're trending as a hybrid athlete and we want to keep them there. So let's, I'll give you a basic example is you're training on the minute, which means if I give you a 40 second run, that means you're resting for 20 seconds. And when you hit the minute, you do it again. So you're 40 on 20 off. But then we could also manipulate that the, any way we want. You could be 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off. Because if you're going more, then if you're going the 20 seconds, he'd have a distance that you would have to hit based off your based off your meters per second speed. The distance you have to hit, and then you need longer rest if you're going to go faster. You know, or is it a 30-30, or is it so? Just things, basic things like that. Although we would manipulate the work rest ratios and all that. But there would be protocols for each athlete. If we're trying to move someone to more of an endurance-based athlete, are we going from short to long? What are we trying to do there? If they're trying to more of a speed athlete, we go from long to short. We try and get them quicker. Um, in the gym, I would just, on a very basic level, we would manipulate the sets and reps. So we may have one group of athletes at one end of the floor in the gym that are doing a more longer set rep scheme. Right, might be your three by 12 reps and things like that, because we want to build out a little bit more work capacity and endurance in the yeah. body. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we go, oh, we're building out speed out, a bit more speed based athletes down there. So they may be doing like four by sixes or five by four reps going a little heavier because we've built them up to that point and adding in more explosive plyometric work. Um, and the movements that they're doing would be, you know, some of their auxiliary movements, like when they get to their third set of things, are doing more explosive movements, might be with med balls, might be with resisted bungees, things like that, cables where they can lighten the load a little bit and be more explosive with the movements. And so, uh, and then all their speed work was done on the court. I take them out two, three days a week and all their speed work was just done within the parameters of the lines of the court. And the great thing about a group dynamic is, is you can do competitive things, cooperative things, but it all leads to maximum intent. So that's what you want with speed is you want maximum intent. So we would have these sessions out on court. And I know you've probably seen a couple of our games out in Carson is yeah. how do you get them to compete against each other in different, different distances, right? So that's where you can use the lines of the court are perfect in tennis because now you can use different distances either for just pure acceleration for the first two, three steps or stretching those legs out and going over 20 meters, which might be from one end of the court to the other um, for some speed, you know, more, more top end speed work there. So um, that's how we did it. Methodology. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like rocket science. It was, they've got their endurance work with different timed intervals. So different groups would be assigned those different intervals on the track in yeah. the gym. We manipulated the sets rep schemes and then also built up a bit more of a heavier resistance with the lifting for the speed athletes and more plyometric work. And then on the court, everybody was doing that speed work, you know, where we were doing different lines of movement and all of that. And these are, this is what we did that yielded these results. And so it was a big eye opener for us to go, wow, like this, this worked. And obviously keeping our eye on the prize is were these players actually moving closer to their game style or vice versa? And from that side of things, you know, we were getting data that was showing us this was helping getting the results that we were we were shooting for. So it wasn't all perfect. I don't think when you do tests and protocols and things like this, anything goes as smoothly as you really yeah. want. But in, in a world like tennis, as a full year sport with no off seasons, uh, pretty much, I think we did pretty well to to keep it going and, and see some of these results over time. This is such a great talk today. And I, I read this article a bunch, probably 
six or seven times just to make sure I understood everything. I, I haven't seen anything out there like this. But anyway, so so well done to you and your and the team that you worked with. Where is there anywhere we can find this this uh, research? This was published in um, Sport Performance and Science Reports. Okay. Um, Sport Performance and Science Reports. So it was an initial report just to give you an overview of what we did and give you a little insight into that and some of the results. And then Jason Hetler on his blog came up with a first parter that went into a bit more detail around this, um, gives you some more background around the anaerobic speed reserve concept. And then we're just almost finished up with the part two that is really diving into the findings and the methods that we just uh, just basically detailed, but going a bit deeper into it. We're almost done with that. We're going to publish it on on Jason Jason's blog and my 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 site as well. But you can find the first part on Jason Hetler's uh, blog. Okay, you just you can just Google Jason Hetler. I'll yeah, and it, it'll pop up. But yeah, it's uh, you can find it there and. And uh, we'll let you know when the second part comes out. We're, we're sort of dragging our heels a little bit on it just because of scheduling yeah. conflicts. But for any of you who also want to see just some great drills, Johnny does a tremendous job with the younger players and with pro with everyone. But he's just got some excellent on court drills. And you know, on you have it on your social media. You you're not private, are you? No, I, yeah, I, I usually just post on Instagram as a way of. Yeah. Showing people what they can do in their pro. That's how it started. I mean, use Instagram. I mean, people got a little bit of a following and, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there and I go, you know, let's just get, you know, I want to put up some stuff that we're doing that's based around speed work and movement yeah. on the tennis court. So I'm hoping that people find that useful. Uh, yeah, um, I would suggest if, if you guys are looking for some great on-court stuff to, to take a look at Johnny Parks' Instagram because... You know, I love it. And I think Tennis TV even uses some of your stuff. I've seen maybe some of your videos right. from Indian Wealth. Yeah, Johnny, I really appreciate it. I'd love to have you back because there's so many other things we can talk about with, with the S&C that I feel like you're an expert at. But I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. It's uh, good to see you. Yeah, great seeing you. Well, that should wrap it up for Crunching the Numbers. Uh, we'll be back soon with our next, uh, I think, episode five. Thanks a lot. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.